Well, this morning I have the pleasure of introducing our speaker. He is one of our own. Bill and Jenny Hunt are missionaries that are officially endorsed by fellowship. We mention them often for everything during the pastoral prayer. And they, Bill, are going to bring a message to us this morning. Just want to let you know real quickly where they come from and kind of what, what they are doing. Bill and Jenny just recently launched a ministry called Fruit That Remains. Build families and reach nations. And that was after 25 years that they ministered with crew and family life. So their goal with this ministry is to open doors through marriage and family platform and then go deeper with that and try to equip these couples to walk deeply with Jesus and then go to their local congregations and get involved and serve. So in addition to doing this, uh, Bill and Jenny remain associate staff with Crew, get this, where they mentor teams in 11 countries and oversee translation materials into local languages. That sounds about like what I do in my fellowship family. I don't know about you guys, but that is awesome. So Bill is from Frost. Who knows where Frost is? A few, yeah, they, local, so Bill's across, and he was a fellowship from 1983 through 1989. Just saying that sounds really like a long time ago, <laughs> but it wasn't, of course. Uh, so Bill grew up here, and then Jenny, she grew up in Iowa, and she was actually in Africa. Uh, they hadn't met yet. She was a registered nurse at a rural Kenyan hospital for four years, and then transferred or moved to University of Nairobi, where she met Bill. And so they have four children, ages 14 up to 22, and please welcome him this morning. Good morning. It has been a long time, 28 years, and so it's always kind of fun to come home, but it's also kind of scary to know how am I going to relate, how am I going to get back into this church that had so much where I was called to missions. Before I begin, I want to introduce my wife and my 14-year-old son. This is my wife, Jennifer, and my son, Jacob. We are now down to one child. Jennifer and I minister heavily together all the time. We work in ministry together. And during the years in Africa, we, in 1991, we went to Somalia during the war to try to put some short-term staff in an orphanage that was run by Belgian and Dutch nuns. And it was a crazy time. And then in 94, we went, I went into Rwanda. My boss came and said, Bill, I want you to go to Rwanda and find our staff. And I said, there's a genocide going on there and it's not our area. I know, but I want you to go. So it wound up that we were working there in the refugee camps during the Rwanda genocide, and those were very scary things, but they were things that we were called to do. And yet, I find it a little more intimidating than that to come home and try to connect and relate with the church that I grew up in and where I was called to missions, and to try to be an American again after speaking in Africa for almost 30 years. So thank you for forgiving me for my faults, even as we start. I want to connect with you a little bit um, and just take you to church with me this morning. So you'll see what we do, where we are. Jenny and I attend a church of about 3,000 to 3,500 people called Mount Maka Hill Chapel. We used to have, the building holds 300 people, so we used to have 12 to 14 services beginning Friday through Sunday. Now we're down to three. We moved down in the parking lot, we paved it, we put up a big tent and a 14-foot wall with nets, and so we have three services of 1,000 people. We really enjoy our church. We get out of the car three blocks away. It's in the middle of downtown Nairobi, on the middle of the university campus, in a city of about five to seven million people. And I'm 55, and when I open the door, I can hear the music in the, like this. It's a very young church. About only 6% of the population, the kind of where we live, is over the age of 50. 
And Jenny and I are 55, so we're really grandparents. Although officially, biologically, we're not grandparents. Yet, nothing in the line there. And one of the ministries that we're involved in now is one that Jake's going through. It's called Rites of Passage. And traditionally in the African culture, you know, there was this warrior mentality where the boys grew up and then they were circumcised and they were sent out to the bush to kill a lion and there was this mentoring by elders and all that's disappeared in this new Africa. So the church has adopted, brought in a program called Rites of Passage where for a year Jake is in class every day with 13, every Sunday with 13 to 14 year olds, boys and girls and learning what does it mean to be an adult, a man, to accept responsibility. We've really enjoyed that. Now you may say, we have a pastoral preaching team of about 10 to 12 men. Most of them, or all of them are Africans. They were trained at Dallas Seminary or Trinity. And they just rotate. So we hear about four to five different teachers every year. And then there's another program that we really love at our church. Just to give you an idea of what's going on in Africa with the church and the difference of things happening. Um, we have a high population of uh, commercial sex workers in our city. Uh, trafficking, human trafficking, and so we have a fully staffed, funded ministry through our church for people coming out of that. Um, open a beauty shop, a beauty training school, uh, some food preparation and crafts for men and women to come out of that ministry, and I just love that because we even have somebody on the staff who came out of that ministry and is now working with Jesus. So that's our church. That's where we normally are on Sunday morning. And that's normally what we do. About 8 to 10 couples a month get married in that church. So the premarital counseling ministry is huge. John, am I dropping my voice too much? Okay. So one of the things as we get started, I want to know how many of you were here when I left in 1989. Is there anybody in the building who knows me? There are a few. Hi. Fun, fun thing for me is Steve Anthony and Polly Anthony, that many of you know. Steve was my college roommate. For three years, and then we moved to Waco and were college roommates until he got married. And I haven't seen him in nine years. And so we were both called to missions here at Fellowship, and that's just a really fun thing to see you guys here today. He was like the brother I never had. I was his best man, he was my best man. So it's fun to be back in our home church. When we were attending Fellowship, we first met in a funeral home, then we moved to a Sunday uh, service at a SFD Adventist church, and we used their, their sanctuary on Sunday. Then we moved to the, when I left, we were in the facility downtown Washington. Now, Jenny and I teach a lot on marriage. We do three-day marriage seminars. We do small groups that last seven weeks with ten topics. We do spiritual direction retreats for couples. And so what in the world can I tell you in 25 minutes about marriage that's going to have a long-lasting impact on your relationship with your wife or your husband? Or those of you who are single to get ready. I prayed about that and I asked God. So I'm going to give you a very brief overview um, of God's plan for marriage from Genesis 2.24. And I just love this. I won't tell you that I found it. It actually popped up on my Facebook page. And so I have like, you know, scoped it and used it quite a bit. This is why a man, a mature man, leaves his father and mother and becomes attached to his wife. And they become one flesh. I'm going to camp on two areas in this verse today. They become a process of learning, friendship, and trust. And then one flesh. Deep intimacy between two people. When Jenny and I got married, we were blessed to have a couple take us through premarital counseling that are now almost 80 years old. 
They were crew staff. They had been in Africa a long time. Excuse me. I promise I haven't drunk a soda water or anything. I just took water. And she was in Bon Appetit's Bible study. And one of the questions they asked us that we had to answer was, why do you want to get married? And we had to list all the reasons that we wanted to get married. And, of course, I put different things, like because my wife has the favorite color in the world is my wife's beautiful blue eyes. I love her hair. I like that she's living with Kenyan women and ministering in a local situation. I always wanted to marry a girl who played the guitar and sang and had a nice voice. I mean, all these things. And, you know, our counselors looked at us and they said, don't you want to get married for other reasons? And we listed, you know, because she's beautiful. One of the things I got hyper-spiritual and I put on my little monk's cape and I said, one of the reasons I want to get married is so that I can know how deeply Christ loves the church. Ephesians 5. Husbands, love your wives the way Christ loves the church. Boy, I didn't know what I was getting into. And there were times, like even in the first month of marriage, when I wish I had never written that down. Because how does a husband love his wife? As Christ loves the church, the first thing he does is he dies for the church. Die to self. And I discovered during the first few hours of my marriage with Jenny that I was very selfish. That I was very self-centered. You see, I got married and I said, oh, I'm going to love and honor and cherish you. But what I really wanted in my heart was somebody to love and honor and cherish me. And when she didn't meet those needs or those expectations or she failed in some way, I was disappointed. I thought, wow, this just isn't what I signed up for. She's not meeting my needs. The other thing was, you know, just when I share that with African men and I get up with them and I talk in African situations, all the men are really, really scared that I'm going to tell them you have to go in the kitchen. Because we work in a society where there are a lot of traditional roles. And so they think when a white man gets up or an American from the West talks about marriage, I'm going to say, you need to help with the dishes, you need to cook the food. And that's terror in the life of some people. I don't like it very much either. But I do help my wife there. But basically, just in the whole idea of I am called to serve and love Jenny no matter what. Now, a few years ago, we ran into... um, a friend of ours at church that had been in Jenny's Bible study when Jenny was on campus at the University of Nairobi working with law students, female, and girls in the law school. And Lydia was a leader, and she's in our church. And so um, we ran into her, and she had gotten married to a man that we knew who was also an attorney. And we hadn't seen her in maybe 15 years. And she said, well, Isaac and I have divorced. And things didn't go very well, but I am well with Jesus. The Lord is on the throne of my life. And she had found this space with her Lord and her God that despite the fact that the storm was swirling and things had not gone well, she still trusted in Jesus. Now many of us have always had, have had to deal with those kinds of things in our life, all of our lives. Sometimes God calms the storm, and sometimes he lets the storm rage and he calms the child. And so when she told us this, I thought, wow, this is a divine appointment. We were involved in their marriage. We knew them as young kids. And so God's brought us back into their lives to reconcile, to heal, to bring this family back together. And in the back of my missionary mind, I thought, that's going to make a great prayer letter. 
That's a joke, you guys. I didn't think it very long. We got back in the car, and my wife, knowing me well, she said, Bill, my goal isn't to fix Lydia, or to heal Lydia. My goal with Lydia is just to walk through life with her and help her pursue the first thing in her life, her intimacy with Jesus. I'm not, I'm going to learn how God has healed her hurts, how she's gotten to that space where she's able to relate well to Isaac because Christ is on the throne of her life and just love her. And that's where we're at in our ministry right now. Um, in loving my wife the way Christ loves the church, I have to listen to her ideas. There have been times when, you know, right after we got married, Jennifer grew up in Iowa, I grew up in Texas, you know, here in some Frost, by the way, is in Rivera County, to of course, Canada. And when we like jalapenos, don't we? And we like garlic, and we like Tabasco sauce, and, you know, in Iowa, they sometimes put salt on the meat. So right after we got married, Jenny was cooking all this food and bringing it to the table, and I would immediately get up and go to the kitchen, open the refrigerator, start pulling out all these things I had bought at the store, and her feelings got hurt. And I thought, wow, I guess loving my wife the way Christ loves the church is, you know, just accepting the way things are. Am I going to have to eat like this the rest of my life? And we had to talk through that and work through that, and now we've kind of totally come full circle. Me as a 55-year-old with indigestion problems, I don't even want to look at salt. And Jenny, she's like, Bill, it's too bland. Let's put some spice in here. And she loves hot, hot, hot Indian food with red bullet chilies. And so I don't eat on those days that she cooks, but we're, you know, <laughs> that kind of way. Another time, we had moved to Little Rock, and we worked there four years. Many of you knew that we were there working at Family Life, but still involved in Africa. And at the time, we were mentoring and working on a Rwanda project with the Anglican Church where they had asked Dennis Rainey to come in and help do marriage with the, with, in Rwanda, film marriages after the genocide. So we were going over there a lot. I was listening to a lot of things, but we decided at that time that we were going to build a new closet in our master bedroom because it had this one little closet. And so we built this wall across the end of our bedroom, and we were looking at the bones, you know, were we going to put this hanging thing here? drawers here, shelves here, and Jenny wanted a little place to put an ironing board, and I thought, you don't really need to put the ironing board in the, in the closet, and she's like, well, you know, these drawers, this one's too big, and we got in this big argument so that at 4 a.m. in the morning on the day that the guy, the contractor, was supposed to come and do the thing, I sat there, and I thought, we really have to reconcile the differences in this marriage. Can we make it? And it was all about the closet. And I was being selfish and pouty, and I think we had been married 18 years by then. And I got in the car to drive to work at my office at Family Life, where I was going to change the world, hear marriages worldwide, just stewing over irreconcilable differences in my own marriage based on the closet. And I listened to a voice on, a, what are those things called, a podcast or a tape. And I was listening to a story from Rwanda, and a testimony, and a book someone had written, and it was a lady and during the genocide, a certain other family had killed almost all of her family. And she had had to forgive them, and had had she survived. And years later, one of the men from that family moved back into the country and started courting her to marry her. And he was responsible for deaths in her family. And I was leaving on the way to work because what happened is she was able to forgive him and realize she really did love him and that God could heal and restore. And I thought, okay, a 
closet or genocide which is an irreconcilable difference you know if i can't let my wife have her way in the closet what can i do so i've learned to love my wife the way christ loves the church it's a nurturing cherishing considering her needs is more important than my own giving myself up for her on a continual basis because see marriage isn't about me it's about me loving her despite her action despite her response to me despite what she does I was with a friend a few weeks ago who got married and a few years later discovered the wife um, had schizophrenia. And he has stayed faithful to her all these years, but it has been incredibly difficult. My father-in-law was married 52 years, and he was an Iowa farmer, worked at John Deere. And 15 years ago, our mom, Jenny's mom, came down with Alzheimer's. And she died three years ago. And during that time, I loved my father-in-law. I saw him take care of her, meet her every need, and the, only, the time he finally put her in a care facility was when, um, eight days before she died, he couldn't lift her anymore. But his goal was to love her. He didn't know that was happening when they married in 1961. You know, I think about this. God created Eve and gave her to Adam. Do you think God knew Eve was going to pick the mango? Have you ever heard it's been called a mango? Because we don't say apple in Africa. We say mango or papaya. Because sometimes we didn't know what apples were. God knew that was going to happen. Now, when we got married, God knew that I snored. Jenny did not know that I snored. Until the first night we were on our honeymoon and I woke up. And she was on her hands and knees trying to turn me over. And I said, what have I gotten myself into? What are you doing? And she said, you're snoring. I can't sleep. Her mother told her that if she just touched this man that snored, he would roll over and stop smoking. Smoking. Snoring. (laughs) I have a confession, you guys. I smoke in bed. (laughs) Um, Stop snoring. Well, she had tried everything. Poking me, prodding me. I was really asleep, so she was trying to turn me over. She did realize finally that you know, if she would just say, Bill, Bill, I would turn over. She loved me despite that. She didn't say, I can't live with a man that snores. Now, one of the things that we do in pursuing um, deep relational intimacy with one another is, in, in our premarital counseling, another area I'm going to go with is this deep intimacy between two people. Because our premarital counselors also asked us, you know, um, how transparent do you want to be? How much do you want to know each other? Um, and I said, oh, I want to be totally transparent. I want my wife to know me 100% in and out. You know, it didn't take long to realize that was pretty scary. And if you're in a marriage relationship or in a relationship with somebody, you know that it's a bit difficult to share who you really are, what you really think. Even, I really would like some garlic on that enchilada, becomes a hard thing, much less... I'm really struggling with this sin. I'm having issues with this. When you do this behavior, it bothers me. You know, because marriage, we think marriage is designed to make us happy. don't know if you've read Gary Thomas' book, um, which is called Sacred Marriage. Marriage is not designed to make you happy, but to make you holy. So it's this intimate, deep, personal relationship with one another. And if I'm unhappy in my marriage, where I have to go first is to say, how is my intimacy with the Father? How am I bringing issues and problems into this marriage? Now, I've been in some situations with couples where 
One of them had done some really heinous things, and one of them was a little innocent. The first pastor of the church, Lane Fusilay, was my mentor for a long time, and he said all couples deserve one another. And so I can sit and listen to a couple, and one of them may be really guilty, but this person also had issues and things that they brought into the marriage or the, pro- or the, or the relationship. And so I have to ask myself, Jesus, where are you? Are you on the throne of my life? Where's my attitude gone wrong? And even if I get it 100% right, wonderful, I'm holy, walking with God, there's no unconfessed sin in my life, I still have to say, where am I wrong? And my goal is to love my wife in that state. Intimacy. You see, God designed marriage to be an intimate relationship between two people in the Garden of Eden. They were naked and unashamed. They knew each other totally. There was nothing to hide, and then Eve picked that mango, and things went downhill. And what it says in Genesis is it says, her desire became for her husband. That's not a good thing. You know what it means? The desire was she wanted to control him and make him do what she wants him to do. Six weeks after somebody gets married, you want to put your hand on the back of their neck and make them behave the way you want them to. And a lot of times it's not because they broke God's law, it's because they broke your law. They broke your rules. They did something that you didn't like. But it was actually not an offense to God, and so you got really offended by it. They're dropping towels on the floor. Or I have this one couple where he didn't park the car right in the driveway, so she put up a tennis ball. And his car had to be perfectly parked in the driveway with the tennis ball touching the windshield in a certain way or she would get angry with him. Now she was a bit of a flamboyant person and fun and an art major. Okay, and don't get offended here, but he was a CPA and he was very mathematical and he loved living at a desk. So she liked teaching art and having fun and tap dancing on the, the desk at school. So one day they were, at work, they were at a function for his big eight accounting firm at the boss's house, and she pushed him in the pool in his three-piece suit. Now those are some extremes, aren't they? It took him about ten years to get over the bitterness and anger for her embarrassing him. But she was just telling him, we need to have some fun, and they did. But she also needed to tone it down a little bit. I don't know how I would feel if Jenny pushed me in the swimming pool in an office function. You know, so God has designed each of us to mutually complete one another. No matter who you're married to, they have strengths and weaknesses that God has brought sovereignly into the marriage to make you like Him. You can run away from that, but you know what? God's going to give somebody that's a little tougher or a little harder. So can you work through all that? Now back to Lydia and Isaac. I think that God can heal any relationship. I think it all begins with forgiveness. Are you living in a total state of forgiveness with your wife, with your husband? Have you rejected them? You know what happens when you reject God or you reject your spouse is basically you're in the process of rejecting the giver. Because we have a lot of young couples come to us and they're all excited and happy. And this is the person God gave to me. And at their wedding, we sing, Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. Never been a singer. Um, And it's just wonderful. Three years later, they come back. I can't believe what he does. 
Sorry, John, I didn't hear him again. Can't believe what he does. You can't believe that this guy snores. Do you know that he doesn't come home till 7? Do you know that he likes to watch wrestling? You know? Do you know that she just is a little bit prickly about everything? He stays up late and I like to go to bed early. Oh, but you said that they were a gift from God. Did God make a mistake? Can you imagine in the Garden of Eden, Eve is brought to Adam and I'm going to trip over things. And Eve says, and he, God says, this is your gift. It's from me. And Adam says, I'd like her a little taller with blonde hair and blue eyes. And I don't want her to talk so much. How would God feel? You see, all of you, when you met this person that you're married to, and you young people who are going to get married one day, this person is God's sovereignly ordained gift to you, and he does not make a mistake. And he's brought them there, and it ain't going to be easy. Conflict in marriage is inevitable. You know, I could live with Mother Teresa and have an argument. You could too. And so the truth is, how am I going to let this mold me, shape me, make me to be more like Jesus so I'm loving this person? The storm may not change, but I've got to work on my heart. A couple of years ago, as I close, I um, came across something in the Bible, and I read it again a couple of days ago. But God told Adam to cultivate the garden. Now, do you think when Eve came into that situation, she sat down and watched Days of Our Lives and let him cultivate the garden? Or she watched America's Home Videos? No. She probably was right there cultivating the garden with him, but they gave, he gave them a job to do together. So in the culture of your home, one of the things that can happen is we think marriage was designed um, on a romantic balcony with Romeo and Juliet. It was actually, it's actually a spiritual battlefield. You know, if we had more families where kids were growing up in stable homes or with mom and dad who loved one another, we wouldn't have a lot of issues in our world that we have. Because the home was designed as a greenhouse. Not a perfect one, believe me. I have great kids, but we all have issues. It was just designed as a place where people would grow up knowing they were loved unconditionally. So, where was I, honey? I had a brain bleed. <laughs> had a stroke a couple of years ago, and sometimes I just lose it, and things go away. And that's what just happened to me right then. And, um, but I know where I was at. So one of the things that you can do is just begin to ask yourself, Lord, why did you bring our, this husband and this wife together for an eternal purpose? Are you happy that you bought a house and you sent the kids to school and you have a Winnebago and you go on a cruise every year? And Is that really what marriage is designed for? It was really designed to do ministry together, to be a reflection of the image of Jesus to the culture. You forgiving your wife the way Christ forgives the church was designed heavily to say, this is who Jesus is. This is who God is. This is what's possible. I wish I had time to tell you the story of my life with being from a dysfunctional alcoholic family Becoming a Christian in university and going home and telling my parents, I found the answer. And them going, stay away from us. But after walking with God and getting married and seeing my children love the Lord, many of my family have come to say, we want that. So it's a lot more about how you live than what you do. Let me tell you about two couples in closing um, that I think are doing a great job. This is Mike and Liz Kenyon. And they are Kenyans. And they're having a lot of fun on the beach. In Kenya, aren't they? That makes you all want to come visit us, doesn't it? Go to the Indian Ocean. 
Mike and Liz got married 10 years ago, and we took them through for marital counseling. But I had actually met Mike a few years before that when I was trying to buy a car from him. Grew up in a single, his mom was a single mom, no dad, and but was just a very amazing kind of guy. In high school, Mike got with three or four other believers that he knew, and they decided to hold each other accountable for the women that they married. To say, you know, if I start dating a girl, I shouldn't date you, hold me accountable. You come find me. And all we wound up doing premarital counseling for all four of those guys. Mike went to Washington State. Um, he got a degree, no, University of Washington in Seattle. He got a degree in IT. He came back and eventually became the director of Microsoft in East Africa. Just a great guy. Love the Lord. He and his wife married and did it the way you're supposed to. All four of those guys did because there was accountability. Liz has an MBA. She's a CPA and she works for Kenya Airways. So they are both pretty movers and shakers in the Kenyan culture and what they do. They got into a home builders group with us. But one of the decisions they made, they said, we really want to do ministry. We really don't want our lives to be as crazy as everybody else in Nairobi. You see, I live 12 miles from the airport. During certain times, it can take three hours to get there because of traffic. Kenyan families get up at 6 a.m., put their kids in the car, in their pajamas, with their school clothes and their lunch and their breakfast, and drive an hour and a half to cars to get to work. We were um, coming off of, what's that, North Dallas Tollway, where it hits 35 and there's 30, and it's just like a continual jam there all the time. Gridlock, that's what we live in all the time. So Mike and Liz said, we have a daughter, we don't want to do that. And so she went to, she stayed and worked, Mike quit employment and left Microsoft. He had so many headhunters come and say, we want you to work, we want you to work, what can you do? You're this talented guy. And he said, well, I'm going to try to develop some apartments and work part-time so I can spend time with my daughter and work in the home a little bit. He got this going. Two years later, Liz said, Mike, it's your turn to go back to work. I'm going to quit. She quit her job, went back with him, went and started the family business of developing these apartments. They took a huge risk. They've done okay. They're not making a ton of money. But their goal is just to have at least more time together as a family instead of the 14 hours going all day. And you know what they're doing? They came to me six months ago, Mike did, and he said, we're in charge of the marital counseling ministry at our church. And a lot of the couples that we're dealing with are cohabitating. They're already married. They're already living together. They have children. They've been together two years. But they've come back to the church and they said, we want to do this right. Now, the funny thing about that in God's timing is the past year, Jenny and I, the only couples we've done premarital counseling for were couples who were already living together. And helping them, and even had kids, and helping them come back into a relationship with Jesus and say, that's what we're going to do. Now, some of you are saying, you know what? We don't have a very good marriage. We're really struggling with each other. How can we do ministry? You know, there was a time early in our marriage we were doing premarital counseling, and Jeanette were expecting this couple to come, and we were washing dishes together, but we were in the middle of what we call in Kenya a dome, which is a domestic quarrel. And we were like cats. I was scratching her, and she was scratching me, and we had done something to annoy one another, and we were throwing down the dishes and washing them and putting them in there. And this couple was coming. Now, we include our children in our ministry. One of our great desires is for our kids to be focused outward, let them see the world, know what's going on, um, and have compassion. A good friend of mine in the UK, who's like the doctor adoption in the UK, said, if you can develop a quality of compassion in your children like Jesus has, they'll reach the world. Well, this couple came driving in the driveway, and they pulled up in front of us, and 
the kids ran out to greet them as his mom and dad were being really serious with each other. Because they were standing behind us watching us have this domain, this world. They came in, and guess what the topic was that night? Conflict resolution. So we told them, Jenny and I aren't doing very well right now in our marriage. Would you pray for us? We've had this conflict. And we used our issue to go through the whole aspect of conflict resolution. Jenny, I was really a jerk. Would you please forgive me? Yes, Bill, I forgive you. And then we talked through what? Well, how did we get there? Those things have to be taken care of every day. Next couple. Um, and yet we were doing ministry. You know, in the power of the Spirit. There are times when we have no idea what to do. A Muslim couple came to us three years ago and said, we are having really hard times with our marriage. We're ready for divorce. Can you help us? And Jenny and I thought, what the heck do we do here? Because we have these forms and structures and materials and they're all Christian. What do you do with a Muslim couple? And we just asked Jesus constantly, Lord, where do we go? What do we do? How's our intimacy with you? This couple are called Victor and uh, Jenny Wayanina. And they had been married six months when they came to one of our weekend seminars and we challenged couples to lead a small group of home builders. To, we said, you know, it would be a great thing for you to do. They came and said, we want to lead one of these groups. But we've only been married six months. Can we do that? And we said, yeah, we'll mentor you through this. And it'll be great because your marriage will automatically be a ministry focus that way. They finished two years with their small group of six couples and have taken them on a retreat. As we close, I hope I've shared some stuff with you about marriage. It's helpful. Begins with your heart and your relationship toward Jesus. Are you right with Him? Are you rejecting your spouse in any way? Hold your hand. Hold the hand of your spouse. If you're engaged, you can go ahead and hold the hand of your engaged person. I'll give you permission to do that. And if you're a family together, you might just hold hands with the entire family. And I want John to put Philippians 2 up there, 1 to 4. This is a verse that I think if you would adopt as a manifesto in your home, that would bring a lot of joy. It doesn't mean you're going to have a perfect home. It doesn't mean that there aren't going to be any fights or arguments. We're human. But it's how do we respond to them? How do we deal with them? How do we deal when the storms start swirling or we're disappointed? The last part says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And I'd like you to pray that with your family right now, whoever you're with. And I want you to do it this way. Lord, help me to do nothing out of selfishness, ambition, or vain conceit toward my spouse. If I have done that, I confess that to you. I agree that I am ambitious, that I'm vain, I'm self-centered. Father, help me to be humble. Help me to value Jennifer above myself. Help me not to look out for Bill's interest, but help me to look out for... Jennifer's interest above mine. If you can do that, I don't care if you're comfortable doing it or not, to be honest. Hold the hand of your spouse and just utter that prayer. If you don't feel comfortable doing it loudly, do it silently. Okay? Let's take about a minute to do that. Lord, help me to do nothing out of selfish ambition. If you're single or you're here alone, pray for your spouse or the person you were married to before. If you know a couple who are going through issues, pray for them. Let's take a minute, just in silence.
Now, if you're holding the hand of your spouse, just keep your eyes closed. And if you have anything in your heart that you need forgiveness for from your spouse, just squeeze their hand and tell them, no, I'm sorry about that. Please forgive me. I've done things in selfish ambition or vain conceit. Please forgive me. But I've been too prideful to admit it. If you will make a commitment to look out for the interest of your spouse or your partner above all above your own, squeeze their hand. You can keep squeezing it off and on if you want to. Father, thank you for today. It's just fun to be back home at Fellowship Bible Church where you called me to missions. I pray that this church would hunger and thirst for you above everything. Holy Spirit, give every person here a passion for you. There are a lot of things that take first place in our life above Jesus. And I ask that you would just bring Jesus back to the center, back to the center of our universe. That you would draw him to us. Draw us to him. There are hurts and things going on in marriages here that we don't know about. And I pray that you would heal those broken hearts of disappointment. Father, I do pray that the Holy Spirit would work. That you would soften hearts, tender hearts. That you would help a husband to be thankful for her, his wife. Her wife to be thankful for her husband. Give them the energy, the strength, the temerity, the desire to try again. Even though there have been some really hard things that have happened. Help us to forgive, Lord, because you forgive us. Help us to forgive anyone. Father, thank you for your, this day.